and we'll get right into our Bible study. God in heaven, we do thank you so much for loving us and for dying for us on Calvary. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ tonight. We celebrate our freedom that we have in Jesus. We come before your holy throne tonight so grateful for all that you've blessed and promised us with. Lord, all that you have done for us. And Lord, we're so thankful. Thank you for the Holy Spirit tonight. Thank you for grace and for mercy. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word as we open it tonight. We pray that you give us understanding. We pray that you would touch our hearts and speak deeply. Lord, everybody that's listening tonight, whether they're here or whether they're at home or even on the road, we pray that you would touch their heart and have them ask the tough questions about their relationships. And then I pray, God, that you would take your word and, uh, Lord, that you would use it and uh, help us to bind it and keep it in our heart that we might not sin against you concerning our relationships with people in the body of Christ. I pray that you will bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's going to be a great study. hope you listen well. Uh, let's go to our Bible study. We now enter part three, which is the trademark of Christian character. We have spent all of our study in the previous sessions in columns one and two and learned what loving God with all of our heart looks like, culminating with godliness. And that is a God-honoring devotion, we said, to Jesus Christ that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. That is loving God with all of our heart. And we now move from those personal virtues of the first two columns to what we could call, and some commentators call, the social virtues that I've placed in the third column, brotherly kindness and love. I think most of us have uh, seen a church bulletin from time to time that has this little quip in it. It says, To dwell above with the Lord we love. Oh, that will be glory. To dwell below with those we know. Now that's another story. (laughs) And sometimes it is difficult, even though we are all in, in the body of Christ, partakers of the divine nature, and we're part of the same body with every other believer. We're members of the same family. We fall very quickly into relationship-destroying sins such as gossip and bitterness and anger and partiality and envy. Actions that bear more the marks of the corruption or the pollution that is in the world through lust than are characteristics of the divine nature. And I think it is interesting the Apostle places brotherly kindness as the first two of the social virtues in this list, love being the second, because love is going to call for even a greater amount of character from us than it does to display brotherly kindness. Let's think about this word that is brotherly kindness. In the Greek, it's Philadelphia. We, we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, from this Greek word Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia is a compound word made up of two smaller words. Philia, meaning affection, and adelphos, meaning brother. It's translated in the King James and the New American Standard as brotherly kindness and brotherly affection in the English Standard. Very interesting that in the Greek world of the New Testament times, that this, this word was reserved only for blood relatives. And if you think back on that, that Greek word, world, there was a great um, distinctiveness between classes and between families. And everybody was very aware of their social status. And you only had to, you were only required or expected to have this brotherly kindness, this Philadelphia, to people of your own natural blood family. Because you were family. And you didn't have to do this to anybody else. And so along come the believers. And they use this word for people outside of the natural family, in fact, across all kinds of different social strata. And you could have somebody who is a a large landowner, and he is a brother, and somebody who is a slave, and he is a brother, and somebody who is a common worker, and somebody who is a, a, a politician. All of these people were brothers and sisters in Christ, 
And I'll tell you, in the first century world, this was scandalous that the Christians were doing this and diluting this word. But the Christians had been taught, no, this is the family. And there are some commands in the scriptures to the church generally, letting us know this. Several of them, I want to touch on three of them here at the very beginning. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection or philadelphia. Outdo one another in showing honor for each other, it means. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. This is to the whole church. 1 Peter 1.22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto sincere love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And Paul says, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. This brotherly affection or kindness points to a a feeling of affection toward and a willingness to share with those who are members of the family, those who share something in common with us. Now, love, the final virtue, agape love, that we're going to talk about next, is exercised often to those who are not like us. And that's going to require even a greater measure of self-sacrifice. And they may even be repulsive to us in some way. And that is why I define this brotherly kindness as a God-engendered affection for and service to those in the household of faith. And brotherly affection is developed by diligently cultivating the the previous virtues and then reminding ourselves of what we have in common with that one who is our brother or sister in Christ. We have to remind ourselves that the redeemed church is made up of believers from As John said, every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And yet, with all of this diversity, we share one Lord, one faith, one baptism into Christ, one God and Father of all. And as we look around at each other, we understand that we are different in some superficial ways. In our physical makeup and in our talents and in our in our abilities and in our interests and all of that kind of thing. We are different only in superficial ways, but we are the same in essential ways. There is more that joins us than that divides us in the body of Christ. This is a fascinating thing to me, that the world promotes unity through the political correctness movement and through multiculturalism The world is attempting to promote unity by accentuating the distinctions of everybody and guarding and celebrating those distinctions. God doesn't do it that way, does He? God says you celebrate the things you have in common even though He acknowledges we are different. We are gifted differently. And He'll talk about we are members of the body and we are all play different parts in that body. You don't promote unity by accentuating differences and guarding differences and promoting differences and celebrating differences. That's why the world has this all upside down. And by the way, that's on purpose too. Lucifer's own plan to divide everything. God has a plan of unity and it is through the blood of His Son bringing everybody into the church and accentuating what they have in common and using what they have differently to perform different things in the body. But there is a caution for us here because all of us do gravitate most to people who are like us in these superficial ways, don't we? Now, that's not necessarily bad, but there there can be great danger in that we generally gravitate to people who are most like us. They have the same interests we do. They have the same pursuits. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong to have friendships with people who do that. But you know what? The passion of our relationships can become focused around those superficial things. 
and neglect the things that really ought to be promoting the unity in the body of Christ. The essence of friendship and the essence of brotherly kindness are similar in that they both are grounded in the sharing of something in common. And the social networking of today and the electronic connectedness has some great advantages. And I'm not, I'm not faulting that and saying that is entirely wrong. But one of the great dangers of it is that it can allow us to pursue people with similarities like ours to an almost obsessive degree. And those are the only people we interact with, the people who are just like us in all of these ways. And we can connect with hundreds and, yea, thousands of people like us through forums and threads and groups of like interest. And we can develop a very strong bond even an identity. Well, I'm this kind of a person. When that really shouldn't be our primary identity on this planet. That's a superficial identity and ought to have a very small part of our life, not the main thing about us. And we can develop a very strong bond, as I say, even an, an, an identity by continually interacting only with those who share our personal preferences, our tastes, our experiences, or our struggles. That can be helpful, but it can also be very destructive and self-limiting. Long before social networking was even thought of, Leon Morris, in his classic work on love, commented on C.S. Uh, Lewis's discussion of friendship in Lewis's book, The Four Loves. I, I've read that book, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you ought to spend your time reading it. Uh, it, it. It's interesting if you really want to see some philosophical discussion about the different kinds of love, but I wouldn't say it's the most helpful thing if you're really wanting to work on brotherly kindness or love. But C.S. Lewis does have a fascinating thing to say about friendship, the, the, the strengths and the dangers of it, and that applies to what the kind of people that we um, associate with. Here's what he had to say. He said, friendship is a stimulating affair, bringing out the best in each of the friends. But even though each is strengthened by the contribution of the others, this very strength can be a danger. Friendship is ambivalent. It makes good men better and bad men worse. Just as the group strengthens the friend's good points, so it serves as a justification for their weaknesses. The friends refuse to be controlled by outside opinion because this is a part of what friendship means. This means that when outsiders are wrong, friends strengthen one another in the right. That's what we do in the body of Christ. We come together here in this assembly and we assemble together around something that is right, the Word of God. And it gives us boldness and strength to oppose people on the outside who are trying to get us to do wrong. That is one of the advantages of assembling together. And one of the reasons we must not forsake it. We need the strengthening of one another in the body. But it also means that when those outside are right, outside of the group, the friends may well encourage one another to continue in a wrong way. Their very friendship hinders them from seeing what is right in the contentions of outsiders. This is why we have to, Proverbs warns us to be very careful about the friends we run with. Because God says that he that runneth with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. But he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. You ought to be surrounding yourself with wise people who are strengthening you in doing the wise thing. If you're surrounding yourself with people who are worldly and who are pulling you away, who are, who are themselves not walking with God, and they will be pulling you away from God. That's exactly what Lewis is talking about, although networking, social networking hadn't been invented. He says, lastly, further, their bond may lead to pride, which despises those not admitted to the intimacy of the circle. We need to ask ourselves, is what I share in common with the people I run with, 
Is the thing I share in common something that is of a high priority with God? Or is it just the, thing, the most thing that I have in common or the people I run with something very, very superficial? We have to promote and celebrate what God says are the most important things. Well, how do we cultivate this brotherly kindness? How do we, how do we accentuate what we have in unity in Christ, in common with Christ? One of the things I, I like to do, and I, I want to cultivate this habit a lot more, I, I, I wouldn't say yet it is just a continual habit. I want it to become that. But oftentimes I'll, I'll take a walk out on the campus and purposefully look at every student that I see and remind myself there is a brother in Christ. There is a sister in Christ. There's another bro- Look at all these brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what it does? It reminds me of what I have in common with all of these people. And my heart is warm toward all of those people. They may be dressed differently than I do because I've got a suit and a tie on and they probably don't. They may come from a different cultural background. They may come from a different ethnic background. But my heart is warm toward every one of them. When I remind myself, there goes one of my brothers. There's one of my sisters. You cultivate brotherly kindness by reminding yourself of what you have in common with the people around you. And we ought to do that in this church. When we see one another, we ought to be thinking, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my family. There is more that we have in common with those people than what we have that's different between us. The godly man's goal is to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And since he has grown to love the Father, he loves the people the Father loves. And the Father loves his children. We don't have to wonder what brotherly kindness looks like in work clothes when it gets out there and gets dirty. Because God has given us a wonderful portrait of that in the one another passages of the New Testament. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture in the remaining minutes that we have in this session because I want us to discover what brotherly kindness looks like. These one another passages are called one another passages because they all feature a Greek word, alelon, which means literally one another. I want, to, I want to talk about two major ones here at the beginning. The first one mentions the word alelon, one another. The second one implies it, although it doesn't use that specific Greek word, but it's a wonderful passage about the unity and the diversity in the body. The first one is Romans twelve three to 5 Paul says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, realistically, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And that one of another is the word alelon. And Paul continues this theme in 1 Corinthians 12. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And by the way, don't go looking for a church and say, well, you know, they've got a great program over there for this and that, and I like to do that. I'm going to go over there. Then we have the first church of the eyeballs over there. All of the eyeballs are are stacked in one place. Well, I I really like music, and this church has a really good music program, and so all the musicians are over there. We have all of the ears over in this place. If your church needs something, and that's your gift, then deploy it in that assembly. You're part of that body, and God needs you in that body. 
Well, I want us to look at the dispositions. These are the attitudes that we're to have one for another. Several of them here. Be warm-hearted to one another. The Scripture, Romans 12, says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. We are to be others-focused in honor preferring one another, Romans 12.10 says. We are to be like-minded one to another. Now the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus in Romans 15. We are to be kind to one another. Let all bitterness... How much? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another. That's a command, folks. That's not a suggestion. You and I are to be kind. Be tender-hearted one toward another. Be humble with one another. First Peter 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So I would encourage you to ask yourself, am I known to be a warm-hearted, others-focused, like-minded, kind, tender-hearted, and humble person to all believers? Are these the dominant characteristics of my life because they are my character? And if you answer, yes, I, you know, I can see myself that way. Ask yourself this question then. Am I this way to all the people in the body of Christ or only to the ones I really like or who like me? Because if it is our character, we're like this with everybody in the body. At the heart of each of these attitudes, obviously, is humility. The attitude that, according to Philippians 3.2, truly esteems others better than ourselves. And I want us to be reminded again of that humility in the Lord Jesus that, we're, that we are called to be like. And in Philippians 2.3-11, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord Jesus exhibited some amazing humility and kindness on this earth. Just watch the patience of the Lord Jesus with his disciples and all of their foibles. Amazingly patient. Watch how he tenderly dealt with that woman at the well. Watch how he approached lepers, the untouchables, and healed them. And he did that with blind folks and folks who were lame. Watch how he kindly answered the questions of Nicodemus, a teacher of the law who should have known this. Watch how he treated Samaritans. Watch how he submitted to his authorities. Watch how he submitted to Pilate and to the religious leaders of his day. By the way, he wasn't a wimp or a pacifist either. When he needed to make a powerful statement, he knew how to do that. If he needed to cleanse the temple, he could make a statement. And if he needed to make a firm statement with the, with the, uh, the religious leaders, he could do that. But watch how even on a cross, he pitied his enemies. And he prayed for their salvation. 
He prayed that God the Father would bring them to a point of repentance where the Father could lay this knot to their charge. He was concerned about their salvation. And of course, they weren't brethren. And we're talking about brotherly kindness. But you can note his kindness to other people. This Christ-like disposition, this essential virtue of brotherly kindness is the fruit of cultivating the previous virtues. It requires commitment to be like Christ, to be, to be, to be kind and affectionate toward the brethren. You've got to want to be like Christ. And you've got to have some knowledge of what Christ is like. And you've got to have some self-control around the brethren. And you've got to have some endurance with some of the brethren. And all of that allows you to have this strength of brotherly kindness. It takes strength to be gentle. Now, I'm, I'm not going to do it this evening, but there's a grand piano sitting over there. And if I walked over there and tried to pick up that grand piano, I, I probably could get the lighter end off the ground a few inches. I won't even attempt the other side. But if you said, all right, now, Berg, you've got that off the floor about five or six inches, and I'm going to put a caster under that, under that wheel or something. Now, let it down gently. It would not go down gently. As soon as I started letting it down, it would go thud. Because I don't have enough strength to be gentle with that heavy of an object. But there's some of you men who do a lot of hard work harder physical work than I do, you could go up and pick this up and you could put that piano down very gently. Why? Because you're strong. It takes strength to be gentle, folks. It takes strength to be gentle with the brethren when they are giving you a bad time and when they're resisting you. But a strong man, and remember where this falls in the chart. This is in the third column. It takes strength to have this kind of kindness with some of the brethren. And you have to have all of the virtues before. This other-centered disposition of brotherly kindness cannot be built upon the self-centered mindset. Well, not only does the Bible tell us of some dispositions to have to one another, but it also tells us some duties, some things you and I must do towards one another. We are to be edifying others. And by the way, let's remind ourselves what edifying is. We're to be edifying one another in the body of Christ. That doesn't just mean that we're not mean to one another. Edifying means that we actually are building one another up by the relationship. Real Christian fellowship isn't just talking about the latest electronic gadget you got. Christian fellowship is not just about Christians talking to one another. Christian fellowship is really about fellowshipping about Christ. 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Now I'm not saying we don't have, we can't talk about those other superficial things. And that's nice for us to be friendly, but real fellowship is when we sit down with one another and speak to one another about what God did this week and how He answered this promise in this prayer and how God did that and how we are trusting God to do this and would they pray with us. That's Christian fellowship. And we need to do a lot of it in the body of Christ if we truly are going to edify one another. And we are commanded to edify others. Romans 14, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We are to accept others in the body. Wherefore, he says, accept one another or receive one another as Christ also hath received or accepted us to the glory of God. And we are to forbear others. Forbear doesn't mean to cover up their sins. It means to be patient with their weaknesses. Not everything that irritates us about something, somebody else is sinful. Sometimes they're just some bad habits other people have or some social graces they lack that they don't know about yet or whatever. And we are to forbear others. 
With all lowliness, he says, and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We are to obey others in authority. Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And he tells us how to do that in that passage. And he says, that means this. Wives, submit to your husbands. And children, submit to your parents. And slaves, submit to your masters. And masters, understand that you have to submit to God. We are to be submitting to one another when we have a position of leadership over somebody. They are to be submitting in the fear of God. And we are to be ruling in the fear of God. And we are to caution and reprove others. And I myself, Paul said, also am satisfied about you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. We are to be admonishing one another, speaking up. And sometimes, and that word admonish means to place upon the mind. Sometimes it just means reminding somebody, did, did you forget this? Or let me remind you about this. Could I help you with this? And we're to be forgiving others. Ephesians 4, be forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And in Colossians 3, he says, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We're to tell the truth to one another. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. We are to comfort others. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We're to motivate others and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And we're to confess our sins to others when we have wronged them. Confess your faults one to another, James says. And pray for others. And give to others. Show hospitality one to another without complaining. Don't badmouth others. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. And don't grumble about others. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. And there are many other passages where we're to love one another using the word agape, and we'll look at that in the next session. I want us to spend the remaining time that we have talking about the little member that destroys the members. An unbridled tongue is destructive. And James says that the tongue is a little member, but it destroys the membership. Here's what James says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
Our tongue produces a forest fire often. Sadly, ball games and the airwaves are filled with trash talk. Cyberspace postings and text messages are laced with gossip and sexual innuendo and filth and contempt for others. And members of the body are slammed and ripped apart and shredded and trounced upon at will by those who claim to be Christ's. Folks, people who are not kind lack Christian character and that character is that lack of character is revealed by how they use their tongues. And marriages go up in smoke because of unrestrained tongues. And children and students are hurt because of unrestrained tongues by teachers and parents. And teachers and parents are hurt by the unrestrained tongues of children and students. And on and on it goes. It's a world of iniquity that the, that the tongue unleashes. So how do we cultivate brotherly kindness and affection? Very quickly. First, we must seriously reflect on the actual union that we have with other believers because of the gospel. Secondly, we must honestly evaluate our attitudes and actions toward others, especially toward other believers. And thirdly, we must repent of where we have violated the will of our Father about these matters. Fourthly, we must be reconciled to those members of the body whom we have violated, hurt, or otherwise wronged. And lastly, we must meditate upon these one another passages that detail for us how we ought to be interacting with each other. We must make the admonitions of the Scriptures our meditation until they become our practice. We can bring joy to the Father by how we treat the brethren. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. The Father is pleased. The brethren are pleased. And we are pleased. We need to seriously cultivate brotherly kindness. I told you. That was a good one, eh? So how many of you, uh, maybe some of you have a couple of comments. Maybe you wrote down something and uh, God touched your heart about something. I, I wrote several things down. I, I absolutely adore what he said about it takes strength to be gentle. And my dad used to say, uh, that I was like a bull in a china shop 100% of the time, that I did not possess anything gentle. We now enter part three. Into my life. Thanks, Trent. And uh, appreciate it, buddy. We'll not do that one until next week, if it's okay with you. But uh, anyway, we um, we have a lot to learn, don't we? And Bible studies like this bring it out. Who who has anything they want to comment or, or, uh, or uh, speak of tonight? Anybody real quick? Yeah. 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 Uh, he made this statement: people who are not kind lack Christian character, and that lack of character is revealed through their tongue. That was huge. That's what you're saying. Uh, yeah. We we think speak too often instead of think stop, think speech. And uh, somebody else, real quick. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> that was huge. Uh, and you get it, right? You get it because he was talking about, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with this group and uh, someone else outside the group who's standing for what's right may not be in full agreement with everybody here. So we shun that person to our detriment, right? Well, we're, we're, our, so our security is found in the superficiality of the relationship rather than what's essential. That was huge. Mike? Yeah, we can have all kinds of relationships with people who we have things in common. But the one thing that we should cultivate a relationship with or through in commonality is Jesus Christ. And, I, I, you know, to be honest, the years, the, the hours and what would accumulate to be days, and I'm sure months and years of fellowship, um, I feel so inadequate 
and, and like I've wasted a lot of time with Christians, that I could have done more edifying with them instead of, uh, you know, let's talk about the last 10 games the Dodgers had or let's talk about the, you know, all the Super Bowl champions or who's the greatest first baseman of all time, all that kind of stuff. And, I, and I've done a lot of that. And, and I, and I again, that, that in and of itself is not bad. You guys understand that. But it's not essential. And none of that edifies. We think Christian fellowship is just Christians being together and fellowshipping about what they have common in the world. And that's not biblical fellowship. Somebody else? Yes? Right. It's it's sometimes very difficult. And you guys understand why, right? Why is it so hard to be kindly? That's one thing to say, okay, you know, me, me and the Keens and the winners and, you know, and and we're, we're going to be we're going to be kind of in affection, and and we would say in the context of our relationship that we have brotherly kindness, but the key is not just amongst ourselves. It's when the Enriquez come around. You see what I mean? You see the difference? Or when the Macrossans come around? Is am I am I do I have that same characteristic that I have with the winners that I do when Miss Cassie comes around? You see the difference? And, and if we could all just tell the truth for 30 seconds tonight, that's not always been the case. That's the sad truth. And if the truth were to be told, we would be ashamed of ourselves before God. That we do not treat everybody like Jesus treats everybody. That's the essentiality of revival. Um, I, you know, I'll get to you in a second, Dave. I um, I marvel... Um, the different books that I've read in the last year and, uh, and talked to different people, I marvel at people like Justice Scalia who could still remain good friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Do you understand the, the, do you understand the power of that statement? The fact that they spent years together at Thanksgiving or Christmas together, knowing that they stood on opposite sides of moral issues, makes me feel so inadequate in my relationships. Uh, because neither one of them were threatened by the other. And yet they could take what was more essential in their own personal relationship above what they felt politically. That's astonishing to me. Um, all of us have different, you know, preferences of different things or whatever. Um, but if I can be around somebody that may have a little different preference and still feel edified or do some edifying and admonishing, that's the key. Jesus was, like he said, having pity on people who are killing him. That's everything. Dave, go ahead.
I used to talk about on a semi-regular basis, uh, you know, the, the key to having a welcoming church is not to be a consumer. It's not coming in or preparing, to, you know, it's been a long time since I've preached the message about getting ready for Sunday, but preparing yourself to not be concerned about yourself is really the key. We walk in, we come in, we sit down, we want to hear, and we want to go. Why? Because we have our agenda, we have our plan, this is what we've got going on. But what if, what just if, and this is, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, obviously, but what if God designed church to be something different? That he designed it, like we said, like we read, for us to be concerned about the things of others, about other people's needs, or about other people's cares, about other people's burdens. And, and here's what I do. But that takes so much stinking time. Can't, I can't stand there for another 15 minutes. I just look, I gotta go, I gotta roast, or I've got a plan, I gotta, I gotta double double, I gotta stand in line, I gotta, it's already gonna cost me 20 minutes sitting in line. I could be there already. You know what I'm saying? Cause we're all thinking about ourselves. Instead of saying, I'm gonna go to church, and I'm gonna block out whatever, hour and a half, two hours. And God, I'm not leaving there. As uncomfortable as I may be, and I may be the last one there, but I'm not leaving that church. Until I get around somebody that either edifies me or I edify somebody else. Man, would that blow the doors off of this place or what? Just that attitude, which you understand the difference. He talked about dispositions and duties. One's an attitude, one's an action, and they both are part of brotherly kindness. Amazing. Somebody else? Anybody real quick? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be. A, you, you may not remember it from the previous uh, study, but that he did. But um, quieting a noisy soul. But a true relationship, when it's hurt, gets stronger, not weaker. So me and Mike known each other 19 years, 18 years. He says something that really just chaps my khakis. And I go to him and say, dude, I don't know why you said that. Um, you're, you're, you're out of line, to be honest. And and we need to make this right. And and he goes, well, I'm out of here. You, you, you know, I don't. And, and he leaps. That's not made better. But in a, in a spirit of humility and sensitivity to the spirit of God, and, and both people recognizing that it takes both of you to make that right, to make it right, there's nothing that could blow that relationship up Then after that. Why? Because when a bone is broken, it heals stronger than it was before. And that's the idea of a relationship is that, man, if you have genuinely forgiven me and I have offered you the love and, and the love of the brethren, there is nothing that can separate us from that love that we have just shared in Christ and, and that grows that relationship. And we don't do that in the church in the 21st century. There's no, we, don't, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to ask about anybody's feelings because that requires time. I don't have that time. And we, don't, we, don't, we say we care. We write a note saying, I care and I love you and pray for you. Well, how, do, how would you know what to pray for if you haven't talked to me in like six months? You see? It's become so consumer-driven. And now with COVID, it's become so consumer-convenient we might as well have a drive-by window. People come in, I'll take just a, just a fries and a shake today, Pastor. I don't want the broccoli. I definitely don't want any vegetables. No meat today. I'm on a shake and fries only diet, right? Might as well just drive up. I wouldn't mind that as long as you drive up, drop your tithe off. That'd be good. If that's all you want to do is contribute to the cause of Christ, I'll stand here and preach to nobody. You just drop your tithe off. But church is more than that. Requires people. Let's have a word of prayer tonight. God, thanks for loving us even when we don't love others like you love us. Thank you for loving us when we don't even love you like we're supposed to. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin when we are willing to confess and forsake it. And Lord, I am so thankful that you are always ready to forgive. That you are always faithful that means you forgive us every time and just 
That means that you alone have the right. That you do that every time you forgive us, every time from any unrighteousness in all of our sin. Now, God, if you will help us tonight by the Spirit of the living God to deposit that heart in our heart, we would certainly use, uh, certainly appreciate your help. We need your help to die to our own affections and lusts. We need your Spirit to crucify our flesh and to mortify the deeds of our flesh. Lord, we need your help and Spirit to have the mind and the Spirit of Christ. We need your help to be humble. And God, through prayer before a holy and righteous and almighty God, we're reminded that we're all humans, that we're all but flesh, that we are at best a vain show. Lord, we all stand, we always talk about the ground being level at the cross. But then many of us, Lord, like to live on a higher ground than someone else and look down on them like the Pharisee did to the sinner. And Lord, it's just not right. And we need your help. We need to add to our faith brotherly kindness. And think about what we have in common. God, we when we look at one another in the eyeballs, we're going to live forever together. And nothing in this life will ever matter again. Only what is done for Christ will we ever have in common. So, Lord, I pray that we would practice that before we go. We would realize that we're not tourists trying to collect souvenirs and swatches from this world. Rather, God, we're here to shine the light in the darkness and to help all Christians to light the light of God. Bless the word of God in our heart tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.